Hi, everybody. Good to be with you. Uh, my name is Luke. If we've not met before, I'm one of the pastors on our team, and I'll be sharing the sermon today. We're in the second week of our series called The Christmas Carols. And the carol for reflection today might be new to some of us, but it is a well-loved Christmas hymn in many other traditions. It's called Once in Royal David's City. And it's one of those carols which draws out the sharp contrasts surrounding Jesus' birth in the Gospels, which reminds me of a story, actually. A few uh, years ago, I attended a pastor's conference and was in the washroom in a break between sessions. And while I was washing my hands, an elderly man came in wearing a well-worn suit, if I were to guess, probably from somewhere around the 70s. And we exchanged pleasantries and I moved on. Based on his age and, and his appearance, I assumed that he was a long-retired pastor, probably living on a very fixed income, possibly from a small town. And at the time, I thought to myself, after leaving the restroom, I should have given him more attention. He probably doesn't have many folks taking an interest in him these days. Well, my assumptions were all wrong because in the very next session, he was invited to the stage for an interview and was introduced as none other than Jimmy Patterson. For those unaware, Patterson was at one point uh, the richest person in Canada and still sits on the top 10 list of richest people in Canada uh, today. I had made judgments on outer appearances and was faced with a now perceived contrast. What's the saying? Never judge a billionaire by their cover. This is a season of contrast. It's dark outside, so we string up lights or burn candles. It's cold, so we gather around fires. We spend on ourselves, but we also remember those who are living in poverty and we resolve to help where we can. We laugh more loudly and we grieve more deeply this time of year, a season of contrasts. As I said, once in Royal David's city draws on the apparent contrasts found in the nativity story. It was written by Cecil Francis Alexander, who was an acclaimed poet and a hymn writer and an advocate for people living on the margins. And other than her hymns, she's best known for being a tireless visitor of the poor and the sick. She donated the proceeds of her publications to build schools for children with hearing and speaking impairments. She helped to set up a refuge for vulnerable women, and she worked to establish a district nurses service in Northern Ireland. And when you read the lyrics of her Christmas Carol, you can see that her convictions about human dignity, solidarity, and charity are, are tightly woven into her understanding of Jesus and his gospel. Once in Royal David's city, stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger for his bed. Mary was that mother mild, Jesus Christ, her little child. He came down 
to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. And his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. With the poor and mean and lowly lived on earth, our Savior holy. For he is our childhood's pattern. Day by day, like us, he grew. He was little, weak, and helpless. Tears and smiles, like us, he knew. And he cares when we are sad, and he shares when we are glad. And our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love. For that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in heaven above. And he leads his children on to the place where he is gone. Every carol inevitably draws from more than one or two verses of Scripture. They aim to pull together various parts of Jesus' story, helping us to remember the salient points. Of course, no carol is perfect, and it's reasonable to ask ourselves if the songs we're singing in fact reflect Scripture or not. As Kirsten mentioned last week, Christmas and Christmas carols have obviously taken on plenty of story that we'd have to say we don't find in Scripture. In fact, actually, just the other day, that story was added to in my house. Uh, my two-year-old informed me that the Magi, or the wise men, brought baby Jesus gifts of an apartment, two nutcrackers, and a teapot. All that said, as much as the story is embellished or added onto, at least the carols get us singing, and they can serve to get us thinking on Jesus and his redemptive life, even questioning our traditions around the story that we enter each year. So though it's not the whole story, I still think that Once in Royal David's City does a pretty good job of reflecting Jesus' birth narratives and the bigger picture of his gospel. One of the passages that the carol evokes most strongly is the Advent reading we heard earlier, Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 1. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. We're very used to thinking about baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph, the animals, the shepherds, the whole myth of nativity that's grown up around the gospels. Some parts accurate, some parts half true, some parts completely fabricated. But once in Royal David's City, our carol today, reiterates what we hear in the source at Luke 1. This isn't just a cuddly fable, and mangers aren't that cozy. This isn't just an exceptionally well-behaved baby who will grow up to be an exceptionally nice guy, so nice that every December 25th we throw him a strange birthday party. Luke 1 and 2 tell us that in Jesus, we are meeting the Israelite God of ancient history, come to make good on his promises to the Hebrew people, and by extension, 
the rest of the world. As the carol says, he came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. And our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love. For that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in heaven above. Hard to sing those words if Jesus is just a moral example or one God among many. Reflecting Luke 1, the carol reiterates that Jesus is the creator God revealed and redeeming, also making note of God's character with these words, with the poor and mean and lonely lived on earth, our Savior, holy. For he is our childhood's pattern, day by day like us he grew. He was little, weak, and helpless. Tears and smiles like us he knew. And he cares when we are sad. And he shares when we are glad. So what comes through the whole carol is that sense of apparent contrast as mentioned earlier. Imagine if God really was so committed to our world that he loved and restored it intimately through Jesus. Imagine if God could be best understood by looking at Jesus. If there is a God, we might expect plenty of power and authority, but we're flummoxed every year by the humility of God as seen through the baby born in Bethlehem or the man on the cross outside the walls of Jerusalem. So whatever contrast we see in Christmas, the story of Christmas itself is about how Jesus closes those various gaps. What gap is Jesus closing at Christmas? Well, first it's the gap that we think exists between God's authority or power and God's kindness are we willing to acknowledge that we've come with a lot of ideas about how God works, who God is, apart from Jesus, and that those ideas are proving at best unhelpful and at worst destructive? We're growing increasingly skeptical of authority these days, sometimes understandably so, but the Gospels say that in Jesus we're meeting real authority and real kindness held together on a personal yet cosmic scale. Part of what we reflect on at Christmas is that the universe, including you and me, can rely on this person to handle the problems that we've created and can't solve. And that this person is undeniably compassionate in a way that nobody else has been. And this is what business leaders now are calling the vital combination of warmth and competency in leadership, which is a very rare combination. When placing our trust often feels precarious, finally, here is someone in Jesus who is truly trustworthy, full of authority, competent, able to restore, full of compassion, warm, willing to love. So at Christmas and Easter especially, Jesus closes the gaps on our assumptions about God's character. In Jesus, power and love commingle perfectly. 
What other gap is Jesus closing at Christmas? Well, perhaps the actual gap that we've made through human self-assurance and rebellion, sin. Are we willing to acknowledge that there is a gap between God and humanity that needs to be closed? Or do we think that we're doing fine on our own? The baby in a manger mysteriously becomes a kind of mirror this time of year. Peering in, we see ourselves and ask ourselves, am I really okay? Are we ready to admit that we need help as persons, that we need help as groups, that we need help as societies? This metaphor, I think, does have its shortcomings, but for me over the years, the nativity story has begun to feel like a kind of intervention staged by God, where I'm forced to take another look at myself in the mirror. Now that the helper is here again, am I willing to admit that I need help? On the other hand, if we acknowledge there is a gap between God and humanity, between God and us, if we have taken stock of our own poverty as persons, as groups, as societies, with that knowledge, do we now feel the pressure to somehow close the gap ourselves through behaviors that will somehow make us good enough for, for God to like us? Well, that's when we must hear the gospel, the good news at Christmas, the good news of great joy for all people. And the good news is that we are loved, but we are lost. And that we can't uh, find our way on our own, that, that, that we need to give up on the lost cause of trying to rescue ourselves. Jesus has closed the gap. He's done the heavy lifting and we can find peace through him. You know, the last two years have at very least reminded us uh, on an international scale that, that we are finite and limited creatures. We haven't given ourselves life and we can't find the path in the dark alone. One of the themes that Jesus seemed to come back to again and again in his own storytelling is that of lost things being found. So one of the most helpful things that we can hear at Christmas is that there is a Messiah. There is someone who's come to rescue. And I'm not him. Once in Royal David's city points us back to Luke 1 and Zechariah's song. He has come to his people and redeemed them because of the tender mercy of our God. This time of year reminds us that there is a gap, but God's done something to close it. And great joy follows when we accept his rescue and renewal, putting our lives fully in his trustworthy hands, confident that he will guide our feet, as Zechariah said, into the path of peace. We have moved, or we can move from darkness to light, from death to life because of Jesus. And the carol would also add that, that God is leading us into the future hope of his healing presence in eternity. That's the very end, the final line. So Christmas is a great time 
to be a Christian or to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, to put our hands up and say, there is a God, I'm not him, I'm lost and I need to be found by the one who made me. That one seems to be laying there in a manger. Let me take a closer look. The Christmas carols, as we're learning through this season, ask us some pretty big questions and invite us into truth. And that truth, of course, extends beyond thinking just about how we relate to Jesus, as we've just talked about, but of course, how we relate to one another because of Jesus. The tender mercy of God in Luke 1 turns up in our carol today, as we've heard. Tears and smiles, like us he knew. And he cares when we are sad. And he shares when we are glad. As we see in the Gospels when we read them, getting to know the real God through Jesus means we'll again get more like him. We'll begin to reflect the character of the one who made us as we are apprenticed to Jesus which is why I suspect a carol like Once in Royal David City can be written in the first place by a woman convinced that God's love for the world should naturally translate to her love for her neighbor. Now, it's not explicit in the lyrics, but you can't read those lines about God's solidarity with humanity through the person of Jesus and, and miss that connection to our own solidarity with the suffering or vulnerable people around us. It's desperately important to remember that convictions about God's nature, convictions about human need and God's action can never just be thoughts or words. They must be words made flesh. That's the compassion of Jesus in the Gospels or the first Christians feeding widows, or James, Paul, John telling us that because of God's tender mercy, we must be tender and merciful with one another. In other words, if God's lovingly closed the gap for me, I'm bound and empowered by that same love to close the gap for others. How do we close the gaps? between us. Well, for the writer of our carol, for Alexander, it, it became very practical. It came down to noticing the needs around her and meeting them, remembering the forgotten, closing the gap between the marginalized and human dignity. And for us, it's the same. And it's why we encourage one another to share what we can and serve how we can this time of year in our church. And when we give through living waters, be it with our time, but, but certainly giving with, with our finances, for example, we can be confident that our resources aren't only going towards keeping the lights on in the building, but they're also going to lighting up the darkness with financial generosity as we're coming alongside various groups dedicated to supporting and empowering vulnerable people in our neighborhoods and beyond. And at risk of stating the blindingly obvious, closing the gap between me and my neighbor is also about embodying the Christmas story ourselves. 
rolling up our sleeves and becoming the limbs of Jesus through things like helping hands. Christmas is never really Christmas without this joyful and, and earnest focus on doing some physical good. It's honestly as much for our own apprenticeship to Jesus as it is about meeting the needs of others. It reminds me of that famous scene in Dickens' cautionary tale, A Christmas Carol, when Jacob Marley's ghost is lamenting and chained and he points out to Ebenezer Scrooge that Scrooge himself bears this invisible chain of uncharity and that every year he ignores the needs around him. He's laboring on that chain. He's adding another heavy link to it. Every Christmas that we don't aim to close the gap between ourselves and our neighbors in various ways, the gaps grow wider and wider. The chain of uncharity around our legs grows heavier and heavier. Jesus comes to break that chain, to bring us freedom, to teach us to love. Are there any more gaps? Well, finally, there's no better time of year to consider the gaps between us that are filled with resentment and hurt, our chains of unforgiveness, remembering that they won't magically disappear without our involvement, without our openness to change. Many of us have stories about the pain others have caused us around the holidays. But how many of us have stories about forgiveness around the holidays? Christmas, Christmas is a good time to take forgiveness seriously, trusting that the redeeming love of Jesus can make possible what seems impossible in a fractured relationship, humbling ourselves to ask another person for grace because we need it, choosing to give grace to someone else because they need it, whether they know it or not, or choosing to forgive yet again this year, turning our pain over to God in the long but necessary road to healing, learning to be gracious with one another is after all the glue of any kind of true community. And when we refuse to be gracious, when we, when we paint only in black and white, when we make it impossible then to be family, that is to say that being gracious is, is easy, that forgiveness is easy. We're going to step on one another's toes and that hurts. We're going to disappoint one another. We're going to fail one another. But if Jesus' incarnation, his whole life with us, tells us anything, it's that healing usually takes time, isn't easy, but is possible. So we shouldn't worry about the time that it takes to work with one another, to try and listen and understand one another. Just because it's hard doesn't mean there's a lack of progress. And if we're in a place like that, where division is challenging, where the wound is raw, 
It helps to simply ask, am I, are we doing our best to lean toward healing rather than away from it? Sometimes that's, that's just enough to hold open the door to possible reconciliation. And that's all God needs, just that gap in the door that we've left open, just that manger laying open under the radar in Bethlehem. So good Christmas, it's, it's a good time to, to ask for forgiveness and healing again for the very first time or, you know, for that millionth time. Healing began once in Royal David City and it can continue in our lives, in our homes this week. So this is a season of contrast, of the gaps being closed, the genuine hope and peace which springs from the experience of God's love. This, this is the season to celebrate that, that there's a light shining for all those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, a light to guide our feet into the path of peace, a light which can still be seen today, which can still fill us today. And our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love. For that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in heaven above.